You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. The salesman moved me in front of the mirror, and in that one glance I was 14 again, in Dan's closet, trying on one of his suits. He had five. Three had labels from a tailor named Tartaglia, one from Corneliani, one said Huntsman. I was wearing the dark blue tailor-made jacket, the sleeves hanging past my hands and the shoulders down near my biceps, when I noticed that Dan had come in and was watching me. You have good taste, Raleigh boy, he said. Have that one made in Beverly Hills. Hell of a tailor and a good friend. That meant Dan had not paid him, at least not the full amount. With clothes, your best policy is to have just a few really good pieces rather than a closet full of junk. He did not have to mention that philosophy allowed for faster getaways. I looked around and realized for the first time that the closet was not full. It had always seemed like a thick forest to me. The conditions for poking around in Dan's closet frequently occurred. I was bored and he was out. I searched without pattern or plan for artifacts or secrets or money. Anything that would help augment my understanding of him helped me clear the mist. Dan always dressed well. He always looked sharp, so I always made sure I never looked sharp. For Dan, clothes were a uniform. Jeans and cowboy boots, khakis and blue blazer, a fancy suit. He was careful to overdress just enough to contrast with and accentuate his relaxing charm. Dan took the coat and hung it up. Bet those boots almost fit you by now. I looked down. I was wearing shorts and his fancy cowboy boots. They were dark like chocolate on the lower part and black on the leg with a design that looked like wings. I admitted they almost did fit. They're made from caiman. Know what that is? I lied and said I did. It's sort of South American crocodile. I had to kill one once. He smiled at the memory, or the smile was a reflex that helped him invent the memory. For a moment I thought of trying to dart past him, but he filled the doorway and I knew I wanted to hear the story whether it was true or not. We had pulled our canoes on the riverbank. It was an Amazon tributary and grabbed our packs. There was a village just a quarter mile away through the forest where we planned to camp. A woman in our party lost her balance and fell in the river as she was hoisting her gear. The bottom was muddy. She was flopping around, struggling to get up. We all turned to the guide. He was an Indian, but he just watched her, so we figured it was no big deal. At least I did. Then the woman screamed. The caiman wasn't five feet from her. Still the guide didn't move. If this was a lesson, I didn't want to learn it. I took my pack off and threw it at the beast. It spun around and bit into the pack. I pulled my knife and moved forward into the water. The tail thrashed and hit me in the leg, and that hurt. I almost fell, but I knew I would get only one chance so I put my knife into its brain. I remember looking down at the boots when he finished the story and starting to take them off. I didn't want to look at him. He said, don't worry, it's not that Cayman. You know, I'll get you a pair just like them. Take you down and have you fitted. I remember saying, will I have to kill a Cayman? He said, when you have to, you'll know it. David Rich is a screenwriter whose credits include episodes of MacGyver and Stargate SG-1 in the feature film Renegades. His first novel was Caravan of Thieves. His new Lieutenant Raleigh Waters novel is Middleman. Thank you for joining me, David. Oh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. This is a fabulous novel, and I think you really up your game because 
what you do is to, I think, address a big problem with the espionage fiction genre and the mystery genre, which is what the heck do we do now that the Cold War annihilated a lot of the, the espionage genre and forensic science is busy annihilating a lot of the mystery genre. You mix the two, I think, in a way that's really, really interesting. So I'd like you to just talk about creating the character of Raleigh Waters and using him to do the kind of things that mysteries have always done, go from the very, very bottom to the very, very top, literally to the king. Mm -hmm. Raleigh was a, uh, you know, a street kid raised you know, without Dan. And uh, part of the franchise, I, I realized when I sat down to write Middleman, so well, what, what are the franchise elements going to be? And one is that he's always going to go undercover. And, and another was that Raleigh's always going to be a guy who's figuring it out as he goes, that he doesn't, he's not uh, uh, Philip Marlowe, who has a strict code, and knows his code, and, and lets us know it, and lives by it. Raleigh is always in danger of going off on the criminal side of things, and he would, did a lot of illegal things as a kid, as, you know, on the street. So uh, to go undercover, where does he have to, what, what's more unlikely than putting a suit on this guy? And uh, as I thought more about uh, the plot that, that uh, began in Caravan of Thieves of uh, how these, these people thought they could separate Kurdistan, I thought, well, I did some research and found the king. And I knew once I had the king that Raleigh had to meet him. And uh, I knew that there would, there would be great moments between them. One of the things I, I really like about these books is the way that you use the uh, genre elements to create uh, um, tension across multiple timelines uh, so that we are um, engaged in what Raleigh's memories and conversations with Dan, but also in what's going on in the present. And I'd like you to talk about the way this novel is put together because I think it's very, the plotting here is really intricate even as it reads like a kind of a can't-turn-the-pages-fast-enough uh, thriller. Well, I don't... Um, I'm glad to hear you say it's intricate and fits well together. Um, I don't pl plot out or plan out uh, the back and forth at all. It's... Uh, I, I try to uh, write it and, and keep it interesting and uh, go with what's on Raleigh's mind. So... Uh, that, that little bit I just read, Raleigh's being fitted for suits because Major Hensel has something he wants him to do. And, of course, suits means something to Raleigh right away. You know, that it means Dan. And uh, he, it, it's inescapable. So uh, it, it comes, it flows pretty naturally, the back and forth. And uh, there's plenty of drama in Raleigh's past. Uh, one thing I've considered is... Uh, you know, at some point, I'll write a prequel where Dan is the hero and Raleigh's just the kid, you know, from the days of yore, because there's, there's plenty there. That would be a lot of fun. I, that's, mm -hmm. That will be your YA book. There you go. Oh, perfect. <laughs> YA cloud book. <laughs> you know, one of the things that makes books like this really interesting is the intricacy of 
the crime, the intricacy of the con, and the intricacy of the kind of mental techniques that people use to get around this stuff. And, and I think that's one of the things I really like about this book is that in all this kind of high-tech world, Raleigh still gets around people with just smarts. And, and that's, I think, really uh, an enjoyable thing to read. So I like you to talk about like setting up things. Uh, for example, there's a great bit with uh, remote alarm systems <laughs> that harkens back to Raleigh's past, I think, yeah. and it works into the plot of the book. I think that that kind of stuff is really interesting. Well, you know, you, you've, uh, you've hit this uh, right on the head, the issue that, uh, you know, modern technology uh, makes writing thrillers tougher. Uh, so much is known so quickly in our expectations in our everyday life is that, you know, you want to know who somebody is that, you know, right away we can just check. But I realized when writing this, actually, it works better for the con artist. It works better for the undercover person um, because you can create an identity and people will just check quickly. Ah, he has a website. Ah, it says he did this. Ah, here's an article in some journal I've never heard of mentioning that this guy, you know, has been to China and Russia. Therefore, he's legit. So you can make the technology work, you know, uh, for uh, deception rather than the truth. Well, that's one of the things I think that this is, there's a really brilliant bit in here. And I've never seen anybody do it before, but I can tell you that it's going to become an absolutely trademark, um, what I would call bloggerflage. <laughs> Perfect <laughs> word. Perfect word. <laughs> where, where you, uh, somebody, because we tend to believe what we read, if you get enough corroborations, enough cross references to the same person, the same thing, as you say, We'll just go, okay, it must be real. Exactly. That's exactly right. You can, so you, so because technology, I know a lot of writers, they talk about this. You know, a lot of people set things in the past for that reason. Mm -hmm. They just don't want to deal with the fact that, that, you know, you have a phone in your pocket. That, that, I mean, if you look at uh, Lee Childs has beaten it by just saying he only carries a toothbrush and that's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And and I'm not I'm and, and and all credit to him. I think you know he's done a great job. But I'm just not gonna deal with these issues. Right. And mm -hmm. and uh they are those are tough issues for thriller writers unless you're a a forensic type person mm -hmm. and you wanna write the CSI style things, which doesn't appeal to me. So then Well, two, I think um there's just not a lot of drama in somebody typing at a keyboard. Oh, it's you the worst. Nobody wants to read about that. It's the worst. <laughs> nobody it, wants to see it. You don't want to watch it in the movies. <laughs> you don't. You know, well, you know, the, the, the standard silly thing is, you know, the bad guys come in and, uh, and you know, uh, change the way all the stoplights work in downtown, you know, in 10 seconds so they can speed <laughs> through all that silly stuff. There's... um. Uh, it's not the gutting of Kufengel. There's a Dashiell Hammett story where all the big gangsters from all around the country come to San Francisco and they take over downtown and rob all the banks. <laughs> and it's, you know, so it's obviously low tech. You uh -huh. know, it's, it's Dashiell Hammett that, in those days. And I keep thinking somebody's going to go and remake it and and, or make it into a movie and completely ruin it with all this fake <laughs> technology. You know, uh, 
uh, one of the things I think that's really uh, a lot of fun in these books are the characters. I, I really love Daisy. Oh, good. <laughs> I oh, think good. You, you have a lot of fun. So I'd like you to talk about Major Hensel. Oh, yes. yes. And so I'd like you to talk about creating these people because um, you have to do it in layers and, you know, peel it away for us. And that's part of the, um, I think, the plotting in the book is just these kind of character revelations. Mm, good. Um, well, with, with uh, Major Hensel, you know, came in at the end of, of Caravan of Thieves and uh, when I realized I could carry on the character and carry on the story, and, and I wanted someone to fill that role, and I wanted someone who uh, understood Raleigh, you know, that, that it, who, who saw beyond the surface, didn't just see a guy who was in the Marines and had done this, who could see, you know, sometimes if you just think about who somebody is a little bit, you can see where they're coming from. It's like I used to have uh, a photo of my mother when she was a little girl sitting on the stoop in Milwaukee with her sister, and there was a dog coming by, and you see the expression, my mother was afraid of animals. And when my sister would have a conflict with my mother, I'd say, just think of that photo. That's who you're dealing with. <laughs> and, and I that's wanted- an inter- That's a great approach. <laughs> I wanted some somebody who looked at Raleigh and saw past, you know, this buff Marine. Mm-hmm. And uh, then as I wrote Major Hensel, I realized there was a lot of potential there for a, a counter to Dan. That, that if, you know, as the series goes on, you'll see he's as mysterious to Raleigh as Dan is. He's going to become somebody who's trying to figure him out. In this book, you know, he has the little question of what is Major Hensel's past, mm-hmm. and they can't really find he and he and uh, Will can't find it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Daisy, Daisy, of course, was just pure fun to write, <laughs> you know, uh, and and related to Major Hensel, mm-hmm. right? It was another person that he that Major Hensel uh, saw through mm-hmm. and saw the the way he could uh, use her. Now, one of the things I think that's interesting here is uh, the, the plot that you've got, which comes out of a lot of really intense current-day politics and uh, must have required a lot of research. And I love the way that you craft uh, the king and his retinue. So tell a little bit about, without talking too much about the plot, tell us about um, doing that kind of research and then recreating uh, this on the page. Well, I I um, had looked at uh, a lot of stories about uh, Iraq, you know, just following our invasion of Iraq, and there was when their uh, revolt really started, and the various plans. Once I saw, I think it was Joe Biden actually. This is years before I ever wrote the book. Uh, had a plan. Uh, to divide Iraq into three parts. I remember that plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah they were gonna, yeah, they were gonna divvy it up. <laughs> right, and frankly, it sounded good to me. I, I could say, well, the Kurds are gonna go for that. They've got all the oil. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought, well, if they've got all the oil, and and there's a plan like that, uh, we're not just giving that. I know there's people going. Wait a second, <laughs> maybe we could have it. So I started there, mm-hmm. and uh, that had been on my mind for a long time. And then I thought, I read about 
Kurds. And uh, I read about Kurdistan and read about, and there have been running around guys calling themselves the kings of, king of Kurdistan. This, this really exists. Now, there's nobody that I know of right now, but in the 20s and 30s and, and 40s, there were kings of Kurdistan. Well, one of the things I think these books do a great job of with terms of Iraq, and you mentioned this a little bit, is alluding to the complete insanity of the division of the Middle East by people who never lived there along lines that are completely arbitrary. It's just complete craziness. It's craziness. And, and I've done a lot of research. I had written a, a script about uh, Sir Richard Burton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did a lot of research about the Middle East, and, and it's always been fascinating, you know, and Gertrude Bell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, you know, I'm a big uh, T.E. Lawrence fan and, you know, read Seven Pillars of Wisdom a few times. And, <laughs> and so the division of, as you talk about, the, you know, just the arbitrary division, and, and then this family will run this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we pretend it worked out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. All you have to do is just look over there. Oh, how's that working out for you? Yeah. <laughs> Not so good. And and uh, so, you know, you say, well, we all our wars, you know, the, the, you always hear the military complain. Uh, we could have won. Right? We could have won. It was the po- politicians who stopped us. And uh, I figured, I'm going to hear that, you know, in Iraq. They're talking like that. Right? And they're, they're saying... This time, though, it'll be different. We're not going to let, we're not going to let this oil get away from us. Mm-hmm. And so then that, you know, from there, you start thinking about these guys talking like that, and somebody stepping in who might help them. You know, once, once somebody knows you have a uh, a bad thought <laughs> uh, from which he might profit, you know, he's not going to let you let you forget that thought. <laughs> That's. A- that's a saying that should be inscribed on on a national <laughs> monument somewhere. <Yeah. laughs> you know, uh, I love these uh, the the pieces set in Houston, and I think you do a great job of creating that city and creating the people in that city and the vibe mm-hmm. of that city. So I'd like you to talk about that. And again, Houston is uh, to a certain extent a character in the plot. Yeah. Um... It's Houston. Uh, I've been to Houston, and uh, uh, I sat down. I had to choose where the king was going to uh, hang out. You know, it had to be an oil place. And I considered, well, there's you know Southern California. There's oil and and all those other places. But Houston, I knew, uh, uh, is a sort of oddly mysterious city. To the United, you talk to people and they don't know it. You know, they think of it as a corporate place. Uh, Enron—that's what you think of when you think of Houston, right? <laughs> you think of the oil companies and Enron. Uh, so I, I thought I could have some fun with that and, and that club on the 40th floor. Uh, there's a club like that for oil people, and uh, and uh, driving out into the pines and to that that uh, roadhouse and all that. And, now, uh, one of the things I think that uh, is really critical in a novel like this to make it fun to read and make it easy to read is to is the dialogue. And, and I really 
I loved the the conversations that Raleigh has with Dan mm-hmm. are among the, the best I've read. And this is an interesting. You're you've got a character in here who is not to put too fine a point. He's dead. Yeah, <laughs> he's dead. So talk about uh, creating Dan in the wonderful dialogue. He's a, he's a character who is all dialogue. Yes, he's all dialogue. Right. He's not. He's not. Uh, Sitting down or standing up, and uh, well, you know the thing is, uh, if it, it doesn't happen, uh, no no conversation stands alone, right? They're all related to all the previous conversations and all of Raleigh's thoughts about Dan and everything. So that so then when uh, it comes time for Dan to speak, um, Raleigh's bringing a lot of that, right? It's a lot of. Oh, yeah, here he goes. And then Dan says something either what Raleigh expected or beyond what Raleigh expected. There's the thing early on where uh, uh, they're, they're exhuming the grave at the beginning. And then uh, and Raleigh starts thinking about uh, how Dan would react if, if, if it were his, if it were Raleigh's grave, right? <laughs> and, you know, the show Dan would put on. And then Raleigh realizes it's not just the show Dan would put on. It would be the show because he'd be thinking about seducing Raleigh's widow. <laughs> and, the, and then, but then it goes further. You know, Dan's never, that's, that's not, that, that would be minor. Now, Dan goes, no, seducing her would be a problem because then, you know, she'd feel guilty. <laughs> well, there's also a great uh, bit uh, pretty early on where he's uh, talking to the king, and all of a sudden, Dan... <laughs> yeah, Dan's is, no, 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 no. Don't trust this guy. And Raleigh's going, don't trust him? Of course I don't trust him. No, no, you can't trust him after you've manipulated him to do the things you expect him to do. He won't do them. <laughs> I, and I think the, the, the way, the interplay in this book... I really like the the sense of the characters walking out onto ledges that are crumbling beneath them. And what's happening is, since everybody's playing, everybody else, uh, you've entered kind of a really interesting new vision of the espionage novel. Because even though that we have none of the normal accoutrements of spies or any of that stuff. You have all the basic, um, the the most basic stuff of the spy novels, which is the questions of identity and pretending to be somebody else. And there's a really great scene of questioning in here. Um, and, and so I'd like you to just talk about this, I think, is a really brilliant and very interesting vision of the spy novel as well as a mystery. I mean, you have both. You've got a kidnapping, which is straight out of Dashiell Hammett, and you've got uh, the identities and international intrigue, which is right out of Ludlam and Lecrae. Well, I, I'm glad you bring this up. I, I, I really am, because I, I'm a huge spy novel fan. The truth is, I, I like, you know, I like spies reading about spies, and, you know, I probably read Kim Philby's book eight times years ago, and uh, trying to get in their heads. And I like detective novels. Um, and uh, I didn't 
place this in a genre. I didn't think of it that way. Although, as it went on, I realized I'm writing spy novels here. And, uh, yeah, it, it's all about identity and, and spy novels without the, um, the superstructure of, of a Cold War or, you know, uh, uh, London Central or Langley, really. I mean, he's got Major Hensel, but he's really not. Mm-hmm. There's not a huge support network here for this. And, yes, you're always out on the limb, and you always have to play by your wits, which is, you know, that's the fun. That's when, when everybody is playing by their wits and everybody is trying to – thinks he's the smartest guy, you know, and thinks they've got the angles covered. Then you can have a lot of fun. Well, that's, I think, one of the interesting aspects of reading this book is – as readers, we will know a little more than Raleigh, then a little less, then we'll know some, what's happening out here. And it's this kind of interesting as a balancing act uh, in terms of creating the tension in any given scene of how much the reader knows versus how much Raleigh knows and how much he's telling us. And I'd like you to just talk about that and, and the the fact that um, Raleigh is you know he's he's our he's our man on the ground for these books. Yeah, it's um you know Raleigh's got to always be thinking and that's that's who he is. He's got to be sharp at all times. As you said, you know, he's out on a limb all the time. When you go undercover, you can be discovered. And then what happens? And uh uh I don't spend a lot of time frankly worrying about the audience knows too much and Raleigh too little or Raleigh too much and the audience too little. I sort of sense it and keep going. You know, the uh, years ago I worked for a guy named George England who's a movie producer and director. And he used to tell a story. He said, you know, here's what you're doing, David. Here's, here's, here's what screenwriting is. He said, you're, you're traveling through the desert and you get to an oasis and you sit down and there's a guy telling stories. And you listen a little bit, and then he decides when he's going to pause and pass the hat. And if he pauses and passes the hat at a good time, you put money in the hat, and he eats. And if he passes it at a bad time or you're not interested, you get up and you go to sleep or you go to the next oasis. He said, you know, and I always kept that in mind is that just keep that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass the hat every so often here and see if I can keep people turning the page. And the who knows what when falls into place. Now, one of the things that I think is also really interesting is um, your, you know, kind of the international uh, settings in, in in the book. So I'd like you to talk about that and balancing, you know, those kind of settings and you know putting somebody um, in, you know, as alien as Houston is to me. At least I kind of grok it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so talk about that versus Iraq and Kurdistan and all these other places that, you know, your characters either originate from or return to and Raleigh ends up in. It, this kind yeah. of immersion is is really exciting. Well, I love that stuff. You know, I love the international intrigue and the international travel. And, and I particularly, you know, I, I, I like, for this book, when I discovered Erbil, you know, I was doing a lot of research. And Erbil, I thought, man, nobody knows what this place is. <laughs> And then I ran into, I was in the bank, and there's some young guy next to me having an argument, in the, you know, and we walked out together talking about banks. 
And he was back from Iraq. And I said, well, where were you? And he said, well, I was up in Kurdistan. And I said, well, I'm writing something set up there and he got, about Erbil. He said, these people are fantastic. This city is fantastic. I thought, oh, man, this, I was so jazzed. <laughs> and uh, read more about it. And I, I, I just love that stuff. And I find that easy research to do. Maybe because you like it, you, you know, so it's easy and fun. And uh, so I, I, I recently, uh, I was writing a, a, a chapter in a new book. It's not a Raleigh Waters book. Uh, where somebody is at the border, a border town between uh, Slovakia and Ukraine. And uh, I was doing research about this fascinating stuff to me. So, you know, um, two, one of the things that I think uh, I really like is the, um, the morality of all this, uh, because Raleigh plays fast and loose, and he's always kind of afraid he's going to fall into temptation of, to to become Dan. Mm -hmm. and, and so I'd like you to talk about, you know, Dan is kind of the devil sitting on his shoulder. <laughs> Very much. Dan is the devil sitting on his shoulder. And, uh, and it's a great temptation. Imagine growing up, you know, if you grew up and, uh, and, and your parents were... Uh, great, great stock pickers, right? And everything around the house and at the dinner table was all about, you know, whatever the stocks were and everything. You'd be thinking all your life, you know, you know about stocks and it's sort of the family business. So what's the family business here? <laughs> you know, he's to be a con artist. Anyway, he's, he's in the Marines, so he's sort of putting it, in a sense, to good use. But there's nothing that says he must. I mean, if you're a con artist that you must follow through on what your orders are or your original intention. So there's great temptation, and he likes to toy with the temptation. He likes to see if, am I ready now? Am I ready now? Uh, and that's how he builds his identity. And, and I think, too, as readers, that makes it for us more convincing to watch him uh, you know, succeed at trying, as he's trying, immersing himself in the action and trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to do the right thing? The fact that the wrong thing is always out there for them to do makes his success at the right thing a lot more convincing. Well, I, I, I agree. Um, I think that, uh, I don't know how... I, I know I'm not supposed to blast other uh, thriller writers, but some thriller writers have very square-jawed, uh, virtuous heroes. And uh, I don't get those guys. I, you know, I don't believe them. I, you know, I, I don't, I've never met one. Uh, you know, I've met guys who pretend to be that, but I know there's something else going on. And, uh, you know, that once they, when they were captain of the football team, they purposely took out somebody's knees, whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, so Raleigh, you know, I think is a more realistic person. Now, uh, two, you've created this uh, shade. Mm -hmm. And I really like this because, you know, it, it seems super plausible. I mean, the more we've seen, the more that um, our government is peeled away, mm -hmm. the, the more... Uh, nefarious it seems 
no yeah. matter how well-intentioned its stewards may be, it seems to have wheels that turn within it uh, of their own accord. Yeah, I, I, actually, after I created Shade, I read an article about how, uh, you know, we need more boots on the ground in terms of uh, our spy business, more uh, hume-int, as they call it, and uh, Defense Intelligence Agency was getting greater funds. And I thought, oh, geez, this fits in perfectly with Shade. How do you like that? And uh, it, 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 I think the... Uh, uh, the idea that uh, they would hand something over to a guy like Major Hensel might be a little bit idealistic. You know, in, in real life, there'd probably be eight layers above him, people telling him no. But uh, for the purpose of the book, it's a lot of fun, I think. And uh, yeah, that's, that is what's going on. You, you mentioned something, I think, very mm. important. Uh, for the purpose of the book, it's fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fun is really an essential aspect of these kind of books. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I most like about your books mm -hmm. is that they're really fun. And I, this has to do with a, the kind of a, a matrix between having Dan there for us to, to play with, Raleigh's own past, mm -hmm. and what's going on because you have given yourself kind of license to be anywhere, do anything for any reason. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're very light-footed at this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't belabor anything. And, and so I'd like you to talk about it. Do these books, I mean, I could see easily either of these books being twice as long. Do you have to, like, uh, carve away a bunch? Well, it's my, I, I do carve away a bunch. But, and, and yes, anytime I feel like it's dragging down at all or I'm, you know, it's the old thing of it sounds like writing, cut it out. I've and, never heard that. I like that. Oh, that's Elmore Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and it's my instinct as well to, uh, to just get right to the point as much as I can. And, and uh, so it, it, you want to get to the point, and you don't want to leave out any points, though. Uh, so you want to get them all in. And you also have to respect, to me, uh, try to respect the reader readers are smart you know they 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 don't need old things belabored they old news if, if nobody this is nobody's first book <laughs> that's a really important point you know i've never thought about it that way but you're absolutely right i mean anybody who's picking up a book mm -hmm. has probably more than a few neurons to rub together yeah and, and by respecting their intelligence that's one of the things that's fun about reading. Exactly. Is, is putting together the puzzle. Yes. And, and so... So much. Putting together... That's exactly right. The fun is putting together the, pu the puzzle. And I don't like a book where everything is spelled out. It bores me. You know, and, and it's, it's usually very shallow. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm a huge uh, Evelyn Waugh fan. And, and, you know, you're reading them... It's like reading sometimes about a society on another planet. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you're, you're trying to understand the code, you know, the, the little things, the, the little bits and pieces. A phrase, a, a bit of dialogue that may sound innocuous to me, has somebody reacts to it a certain way, and you go, oh, I see. It's, you know, it's part of all this. And that's fun. Mm-hmm. 
Now, it, it strikes me that in the espionage business and, mm-hmm. and in these kind of uh, mystery thriller espionage novels that you're writing, which are charting, I think, really un, unknown territory, you're out, I think, ahead of the curve in terms of what you can get at, the subjects you can pick up, and the way you can approach them. So I'd like you to talk about creating your own shorthand. Yeah, that that is also fun for me and uh, a big part of it. And I again, I don't uh, enjoy. There's only certain things I enjoy, and and I I can't. I learned over the years of writing screenplays that it gets harder and harder as you get older to write about something that that doesn't interest you or that you don't enjoy. So I I did not try to fit in any genre with this. And I think to an extent, I went to um, uh, Thriller Fest and Boucher Con where all these thriller writers converge. And there was, my my first book was Caravan of Thieves and I, I looked around, I got a sense, well, I, where do I fit in? And I didn't fit into any neat slot. I, I would agree. I, that's, that's why I think that's the attraction of these books for me. That, well, that, it, it's a good thing. I'm glad to hear it. I'm thrilled. But when you're at these conventions, you're going, wait a second. You know, all the, all the uh, uh, serial killers are over here, <laughs> and all the vampires are over here. You know, and here's the uh, the little old ladies with the knit shop who solve mysteries. <laughs> you know, they're over here, and and where do I stand? Um, but there are others also. You know, and, and there's I mean, there's a ton of these people are really good writers. Mm-hmm. Um, T. Jefferson Parker's there, you know, and and they're really good writers. So that's uh, well, you know, I think we're at a really good point too. Uh, literarily for this kind of fiction mm-hmm. because these kind of uh, novels speak a lot to uh, you can pack a lot into this mm-hmm. in a manner a lot of you know profound thoughtful meaningful stuff about father-son relationships about the insanity of the of nation building about you know the insanity of war the you know the complete ease with which we can deceive one another, you can pack all that stuff in in a manner that unpacks without feeling like you're being lectured to. Uh, you're, and you're not being lectured to. You're having a hell of a good time. That's, that's great news. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody wants political lectures in their, in their thrillers. No. Um, and uh, anybody who does lecture in one of my books, Raleigh deflates him pretty quickly. <laughs> Uh, it's good to have a hero who's just not good. I think uh, when uh, the king uh, shows Raleigh the video about the history of Kurdistan, you know, Raleigh just says, I couldn't even watch it. You know, somebody did something to somebody else, and somebody's been angry for 6,000 years. You know, that, that's his take on it, and they're still angry. Um, so, uh, no, it's all about the people, the people, the people, the people. And uh, the politics is just the backdrop, and uh, you know it's it's there for us, and we see it every day. It's all in the newspaper. My sense is, when you read the New York Times, uh, a lot of the New York Times writers and the, the good journalists around, they know, you know, and and uh, they know how, how 
pompous and ridiculous the politicians are and, and the bureaucrats, and they just can't say it. But Raleigh can deal with them. Well, you know, and I never actually thought about it this way before, but these novels, too, work very well as impeccable satire <laughs> in a sense of, you know, both the um, rigidity of law enforcement, the mm -hmm. ineffectiveness of law enforcement, uh, the complete lawlessness <laughs> of law <laughs> enforcement. So I'd like you to just talk about you know these books as as satires. I mean, they're these books. They're funny, mm -hmm. and, and you know they they poke fun at a lot of people. You deflate a lot of people through in these books. Well, that was with what, sniper shots. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you know, if you've got Dan mm -hmm. and you've been raised by Dan, uh, the first thing every you know a con artist does is see through people. And, the, and, and absolutely, you know, he'll pretend to go along with the, uh, uh, the form and the, and the pretensions of people. But really, a con artist is just cutting the legs out from people all the time. And so here's this child of a con artist and everything he's – I mean, yet he goes into the military where it's, it's really ridiculous. You know, your uniform is supposed to tell who you are. And, and, you know, I mean, maybe that works on, you know, on a dog. <laughs> Not so well, actually. <laughs> Not so, right, right, you know. Yeah, this is somebody I'm supposed to chase and bite. But, but other than that, uh, you know, for Raleigh, he sees, he sees through people all the time. And sometimes he runs into people, you know, who he genuinely likes. And, or uh, in Caravan of Thieves, he didn't see too well through, through Shaw early on. It took him a while. But he's uh, he's always working at it. Now uh, he, he has a sidekick. Yes. Uh, so talk a little bit about the the importance of the sidekick and giving the sidekick enough room to be a character in and of himself, but not so much room that you know he overtakes the novel. Will? Yeah. Yeah. Will. Um, I thought. Well, you know, here we are. We're going to uh, discover these other graves. And uh, a lot of the work between Caravan, that went on between the two books, uh, was bureaucratic work. And, uh, well, Raleigh's, they're not going to assign Raleigh to sit in front of a computer alone. This is not happening. He's going to need somebody with him. And uh, Will sort of developed as I went along. I didn't have a, uh, I didn't start out saying, you know, because Raleigh's like this, Will will be like that. I didn't. Um, but uh, early on, you know, I saw that Ra Will was going to have a uh, a yen for the will for the widow. Uh, and uh, once I saw that, then I sort of figured out who he was and how he could help. And and I've got plans for him uh, in the next book. <laughs> so uh, also too. When you're working this, you're working a series, so you're telling a bigger story mm -hmm. in any novel than that's in the one novel. But you also want it to be so that somebody, and I think somebody easily can, pick up a middleman, telling title, absolutely love it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like you to talk about, I think you do a great job of, you know, bang, bang setting the scene so that even if we've read the first one, it's nice to have the scene set again, not over-laboring it, and then 
fitting these into the bigger canvas? That was, uh, you can thank my editor. Um, uh, I sent her the uh, draft, uh, Jess Renheim, and, and uh, she said, she wrote back and said, you know, one of the things we want to make sure is that anybody can pick up Middleman and read it, even if they haven't read Caravan of Thieves. And uh, you might consider laying some of this out a little bit better. She said I, she'd passed it around to some other people at the publishing house. And so I immediately saw that she was right and, 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 and sat down and so uh, set it up. So, you know, I, in other words, I didn't want to start the book describing the previous book. That's boring. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found a good place right in the early part where I could uh, go over Caravan of Thieves, where things stood. I do it actually in relation to Dan mm-hmm. because Dan's so amusing. And so there's a way to tell without... Yeah, Dan's a, Dan's a great foil for that kind of thing. He sure. Can, he's a, you, you can bring Dan back, and he's entertaining. We like to – whenever Dan shows up, uh-huh. you're, we, A, we know because he's in italics. Yeah. <laughs> right. And he's also really fun. So uh, now you you have two books. You've alluded to a third, mm-hmm. and I presume this will just keep going until, uh, you know, the we've completely annihilated the middle. Yeah, yeah, right. I've got to. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any shortage of conflict in the Middle East. No. It might outlive me. Um, well, there's the Middle East. There's all sorts of things. I have uh, a third planned. Mm-hmm. I haven't written it yet, um, and you know, I, and it the plan came to me early on, mm-hmm. and so uh, I won't say much about it because it's got some. Surprises right right off the bat. Oh, good, good. Well, now, um, you're working on another book too. I'm working on a on a book that's very much a spy book. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's a a spy uh, and detective book. It's again, it doesn't fit neatly into one genre. It's set mostly in Washington D.C. Different character, mm-hmm. different kind of guy, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, well, I'm about two-thirds of the way done and uh, looking forward to finishing, of course, and uh, then I'll have to rewrite it. <laughs> now, uh, you're a guy who has written a lot of screenplays, mm-hmm. and to a degree we can kind of see that in these books because they're kind of zippy and, and cinematic, and but in a non-pejorative sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we have, they, have you done screenplays for these? I have not, and... Uh, you know, uh, we're trying to sell the screenwrites. Mm-hmm. Have not sold them yet. One of the things, oddly, that I keep hearing is, well, Dan dies early. And we like Dan so much. And that's a problem. And then I say, no, no, no. Dan lives on. <laughs> yeah, Dan. You know, Dan is going to be part of this. And that's going to be what makes the movies so amusing. That's going to at least help make the movie so amusing. Oh yeah, no, I I agree. I think Dan is is a really great in, a invention. I mean, you do, it's really unique. Great. I, yeah. Now, are you working on any other screenplays that uh, that, that will be of interest to your readers? Uh, well, I'm I'm rewriting uh, the uh, the one about Sir Richard Burton. Oh, good. Which is. Uh, I think the best story I've ever encountered. Mm-hmm. I love the story. Well, so he's he's, a, he's such an interesting fellow, the and, most interesting guy, and and such 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 a um, a cornerstone of forming what we all live in now. 
You're exactly right. And if you like spies, he's the original guy. You know, he's the guy. Mm-hmm. Because they say Kipling based some of Kim's adventures on Burton. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and uh, so that, I'm, I'm just crazy about that story. And it's a tough one to sell to the movies uh, because it's in the Middle East and it's a little controversial. And, and uh, you know, with a movie, there's $100 million on the line that they have to risk. You know, so I'm considering, I might actually write it as a novel following the one I'm, I'm doing now. I would definitely look forward to that. I've been speaking with David Rich. His new book is Middleman. It's the second Lieutenant Raleigh Waters novel. Thank you for joining me, David. Thanks for having me. It's a great interview. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.